Good night. Good night. That was a quick episode, Michael. I know. Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast, and I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other other host, Aaron Hill. How you doing, Mike? Uh, My gazebo blew down. What? (laughs) We had uh, some wicked storms unrelated to the hurricane uh, came through Kansas this morning, and it blew my gazebo down. Wow. Uh, folks, <laughs> this is episode number 70, and we're going to be discussing whether or not the F pattern is still relevant. Uh, this is going to be an interesting topic tonight. It gets a little bit away from the development side and gets us more into the UX content and psychology realm. Uh, so patterns when you just say fuck repeatedly on your website, right? Uh, y- yes. No. Nice. I don't know what kind of websites you visit. Uh, that's gross. folks if you have been enjoying the drunken ux podcast be sure to run by our sponsors this episode is brought to us brought to you not us we're already here by our friends over at the live at manning conference series and so if you want to check out they've got an event coming up on september 15th um, called the rust conference rust is a programming language and if you're interested in learning something new this is a free conference so run by the website at drunkenux.com slash rustconf that's r-u-s-t-c-o-n-f and you can get a free ticket. Manning Publications are the ones who help bring Dustin Shaw onto the show, right? Yes, yeah. Okay, So cool. if you want to check them out, go go do that. Uh, use that link. You can get a free ticket and sit down and, and learn about a new programming language. We'll be there. So uh, cool. I think that'll be kind of neat. Learn something new. I think I, I haven't done anything with Rust myself, but I do have a program called RipGrep um, on both my Linux and Mac computers. And it's grep, like the command line utility, but written in Rust. And it does it does some optimizations that make it like really, really absurdly fast. So huh. I, I've I heard like, good things about it. It's it's yeah, kind of the, one same. of the new hotnesses out there. So um, yeah. Be, yeah, I'll be interested to, to see what it's all about. Cool. Um, to get started, I want to go back real quick. So what, a month ago, give or take, mm-hmm. um, we had episode 68 where we were talking about page performance and what you could do right. to Im- improve page performance. Just saw an article that actually made for a nice, quick little bite-sized update to that that I wanted to pass on. This is from uh, over at the Dev.2 blog. Mm-hmm. Dev.2 is like lots of blogs, basically. It's like medium for programmers or whatever. But there, there's an article over there by Adrian Becci. Becci? Bessie? B-E-C-E. However that is pronounced. Sorry, Adrian. Where he's got uh, an example of what he calls the best way to lazy load images for maximum performance. Hmm. So we talked about this, right? We talked about lazy loading images. That was a thing we covered. I really liked the approach that he outlined, though. And he talked about something that we didn't talk about. And now I feel bad for having not mentioned it. So (laughs) I figured this was a good opportunity to to fix that record and get this uh, listed there. This uses his his technique is is twofold, um, okay. but it leverages an attribute that is available in HTML5 for both images and iframes called loading. So just like you would set your source or your alt text or oh width, right, there's I yeah think there's we mentioned a, that in the episode didn't we? I I don't remember that we did. If we did, I just have brain fogged over it. Hmm. Okay, 
we talked lazy loading uh, specifically about the vanilla lazy load plugin. Yeah. This is a browser level feature though, as a result of it being an actual part of the HTML spec. So if you put loading equals on an image, you can have it be eager or lazy. Now eager is just normal. Basically, if you don't put it on there, it basically is defaulting to eager no matter what, but you can also say lazy. And if you say loading is lazy, then the browser automatically interprets that as being something that it shouldn't download right away. And it waits until it's in the viewport before it tries to grab the image. Mm, Okay. Now, so this would be like if you had like an image heavy site with a lot of life to it. Got it. A gallery, you know, Mm -hmm. if you've got a portfolio, you know, client list, something like that. Yeah. Anything where you've got a lot of images and you want to minimize that load. Now, if this worked everywhere, that would be it. We would be said and done. We wouldn't have talked about anything else. It doesn't work everywhere. Safari is still the odd man out on that one. <laughs> IE, Firefox, Chrome, they all natively support the, the loading attribute as of today. Uh-huh. Um, they've supported it for a year. Um, they've uh, Since late 2018, I think. Um, so you can use it with nothing else if you're okay with Safari ignoring it. And mm-hmm. it'll just behave normally. It won't, you know, it doesn't break anything. The reason I like this article, though, is because Adrian demonstrated a technique that had a JavaScript fallback. So he basically was polyfilling for the feature so that it would work for Safari using a plugin. And okay, he he basically overloaded the element by using data attributes because the uh, the plugin uses a data source. Uh, or data mm-hmm. source set um, um, parameter on it. So he uses that approach, has a little JavaScript function that if the browser supports native lazy loading, he just swaps mm-hmm. that into the source field and is done with it. Um, and if it doesn't, then he just runs the the polyfill plugin for it. So it makes it work everywhere in that case. It just takes a little extra JavaScript, which if you were going to use the lazy load plugin we mentioned, you're already going to be going through that effort anyway. So it's just, it was a very elegant, I thought, solution um, that leverages native browser behavior almost everywhere and still gives you a fallback for Safari or older browsers if you felt so inclined. Mm-hmm. So run by the blog. Um, I'm not going to give you the whole URL because it's long and hard to say over the air, but if you go by drunkenux.com, check out the show notes. There will be a link there. Go check that out. Um, I'll link to the Can I Use page for it as well so that you can see you know how far back browser support goes. But if you're interested in, in image performance and you enjoyed episode 68, throw this in your toolbox and let us know how it works for you. That's pretty cool. Okay, so F patterns. Fuck. F patterns. Fart. How many times Fatigue. can I make you do this? F pattern. Fast. F pattern. Fly. Yeah, we're getting farther away. Uh, farther. Stop you now. Uh, farther. <laughs> God dang it. Um, the F pattern uh, is something some people may know about and some people may not know about. The F pattern is a pattern of reading, let's say. Pattern of scanning. Mm-hmm. This is something that goes back a little ways. So... It was first, and I use this word first very loosely, identified um, in a 2006 Nielsen-Norman study. Now, 
the reason I say first in quotes, first-ish, is they did this eye-tracking study, and they said, hey, look, everybody is scanning websites in an F pattern. The reality is people scan in F patterns. We did it before websites. We did it with yeah. magazines. We've done it with newspapers. Like it's, It is a cognitive function that mm-hmm. humans have that um, humans in the Western world, let me be maybe a little overly specific there, because our text is left to right. So does the study say anything about languages that do right to left, like Arabic, Japanese, and... Right, the original, I don't think, uh, addressed that. They did a follow-up in 2017 Mm -hmm. where it did come up. And the answer is, yes, it's just mirrored. Okay, so this is like really like a universal human thing. The fact that it looks like the F that we see in Latin alphabets is because we read left to right. Exactly. Got it. So there's uh, over at UX Planet, uh, Nick Babich has uh, kind of a definition here that he used that I'm going to use, which is the F pattern describes the most common user eye scanning patterns when it comes to blocks of content. F means fast. F is an F word. Just FYI. FYI. Uh, That's how users read your content on the web. In a few seconds, users' eyes move at amazing speeds across the page, which is true. So, yeah, so in other languages, as we think about, you know, Arabic, Japanese is another one that has Mm -hmm. different flow to it. Basically, the way you learn to cognitively process data and information is going to be Mm -hmm. reflected in the way you scan. For Mm -hmm. us, like you say, yes, it's an F because left to right, top to bottom. Um, you know, if you, I don't know of a language that does it, but if it started right to left, bottom to top, then you would have a completely inverted sense of that. So this is, because there's also the F pattern design, like when we do like a web page layout. Yep. And this isn't the same thing as that, right? This is a different kind of F pattern. Yeah, it's not the same. It just coincidentally has the same thing. It's (laughs) absolutely related though, right? Because... The when we think about websites back in the early aughts, that seems sure. that, that feels very strange to say it that way. But I don't like early two thousands. Yeah. I think early aughts is a is a fun thing to say. <laughs> we were and, and going back even to the you know late nineties when web development really started taking off, we mm-hmm. built in F patterns. Uh, this would be your header, your left sidebar navigation, mm-hmm. and your right side content. Uh, right. We we. Created websites with the tools we had, and that resulted in sites that mostly had that layout. As a consequence of the HTML that we had developed, which also went together in an F pattern. When you think about table layouts back again, Mm -hmm. late 90s, early aughts, you know, the way table cells flow left to right, top to bottom, things plug together, the Lego blocks all fit together left to right, top to bottom. So, yeah. and that construct, so there's, there's two ways to look at this, right? There is the, the behavioral application of the F pattern, right. our, our cognitive F pattern, the way we think. And yeah. then there are the constructs and artifacts that come out of that. Right. We used to build those sites in an F pattern because that was the way we thought. That was the way we made our tools work. So the site design was kind of a function of this behavioral pattern. Right. Now, over time, obviously, Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily build sites in an F pattern to that extent. I would argue that a lot of sites still very much have Mm -hmm. an F style flow to them, even though it may not be visually. Are you going to do this every time? (laughs) 
Not every time. Is is that going to be the whole show? Is just you calling out every time I say something with an F in it? The show is an F pattern. It's everywhere. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Technically. Wait. An so F. so I think like it sounds like the F pattern is referring to how we scan copy, and that I I'm imagining it in my head is like the F being turned on its side, where the the largest line of the F is on the far left. And it looks almost like a histogram of declining size. And and it would represent the amount of attention that we apply to a paragraph as we read it. So like at the very beginning of the paragraph, we read all of the text. And then as we get further down, we read less and less of it because we're looking for relevant little snippets mm -hmm. to make sure this is the thing we want to read. And then like we kind of do that with the whole document. Without yeah, being there, accurate, there's a diminishing return. The longer yeah. somebody scans, the they get fatigued. Basically, another F word. <laughs> okay, I, <laughs> I, I was setting you up for that one. <laughs> I swear. So, so it's so this the F pattern here isn't strictly the construct, like the the design construct that emerged because of how we cognitively process documents. The F pattern is actually referring to that cognitive process, right? It's it's referring to all of it. All of it. Okay. All of it. Um, and so as we think about this question, as we talk about it, mm -hmm. is the F pattern still relevant? Yeah. The question is, which F pattern? Which sure. application of it? You know, I, are I we, would are say talking about? the simple answer to that question, because the F pattern existed prior to like F design layouts, the answer seems like it would clearly be yes. Like yeah. we, haven't, we haven't changed how we consume content. If anything, I think is even more relevant now. Because there's, we have so much content that scanning has become even more important. Let's let's qualify this idea because I, I think spoiler warning: the answer I think is yes. Um, <laughs> that's not universally believed, um, but we can we can start talking about this in terms of some other things, right? So if we think about this, um, if we go back to these early web pages when we mm -hmm. were still designing with F patterns very much in mind. We had these ideas. Most of these ideas came to us from the print world. Um, the okay. F pattern is certainly one, um, whether or not we were conscious of that. But the other one would be things like the fo fold. The fold. The fold. I, as soon as it started coming out of my mouth, I'm like, <laughs> why is there not another word I can use oh, for this? Hell is other people. <laughs> you know, and we still talk about it. Still to this day, you hear people talk about you know, things on web pages above or below the fold. Mm -hmm. And I think we've known for, what, 10 years probably that the fold isn't a thing with websites. It's sort of like the first page of search results on Google. It, I mean, it's not even that, right? It's the first screen of content that just happens to fit in your browser, which is going to be half the page or a third right. of the page. Right. And for a long time, we used to, because it, it is very true, in the print world, the stuff that was above the fold mattered. Right. Because that right. was on display, and people wouldn't necessarily walk up to that display and pick up that newspaper and unfold it right there and look below it. The stuff that was above it mattered. There was practical constraints about that, because you would have, like, you couldn't read the rest of the paper without paying the kid the dime or quarter or whatever it yeah. cost back then. We sort of have that now, though, with a lot of news media. How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> I hear stories. Okay. I, I, I'm i turning an F word soon, I'll say that much. 
um the that we sort of see that now a little bit though like if you I'm, i know that you know about this but like all the news sites that are require subscription to be able to read the content you can read the first page basically above the fold yeah and then you have to subscribe to see anything about so it's kind of paywalling just like newspapers used to do that, that's an interesting i'd never thought about that but that that's kind of an interesting uh they've they've corollary. recreated they've made a, like a virtual fold again virtual fold and and i i just say i just tell them to fuck off you know take that f word <laughs> i'm gonna have to mark this episode explicit aren't i <laughs> You did call it F pattern. What did you expect? Uh, there's an article over at UX Myths that we'll have a link to in the show notes. They they talk about the the myth of the fold. Um, one of the things that the the research has showed is that 66 percent of users' time is spent below the area that would be considered the quote unquote fold um, during those studies. So it, what it comes down to is we brought this idea over, and we thought it because it, it superficially it feels like it makes sense. Like sure. the stuff in the viewport immediately is the mm -hmm. most important. What we've learned in practice is everybody scrolls. Scrolling is free. Scrolling is free. Another people don't mind scrolling. People aren't yeah. like there used to be this sort of idea. You ever hear this one, especially early on Aaron, where it's like mm -hmm. some people don't know that they're supposed to scroll a page. <laughs> like, I, I don't know that that I, I generally don't know if that was ever true, but it yeah. was said a lot back 20 years ago. Yeah, this idea that like people bullshit. still didn't know how computers really worked, and so yeah. they could be I'm, misled. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's the case for for some like edge cases, like edge UX cases. But I, I think by and large, if you know how to use a mouse, you know that you can scroll a page. Yeah. So this whole thing, the the reason we say all of this is because the fold comes with us along with this idea of the F pattern, these ideas mm -hmm. that were brought over, and. The important part about this is uh, that behavior, so like design changes, right? Design changes constantly. And mm -hmm. to your point, talking about, you know, well, are we talking about F-pattern design or F-pattern mm -hmm. thinking? And that's the question, right? Because design changes. We've sure. learned new ways to make pages. We've developed new markup and new CSS and new things that let us lay stuff out in newer and call them modern for the moment ways. I, I think that that is also a bit related to uh, technical constraints, right? Because, you know, in the early aughts and even the nineties, and I would say really up until I'll say 2010 and later up until that point, you know, web was mostly consumed via screen, like a desktop screen, which is always wider than it is tall. And so when you have a wider layout, you can, you have, room to make the content narrow and make it readable and you have all the stuff on the left side that you can add navigation and other things to but now with more stuff being consumed on mobile there's there's an incentive to make it stacked then make it like more of a vertical like i yeah. i beam layout um but i mean i guess your point is that even with an i beam layout you're going to still have the f pattern consumption of it yeah right? so the so nielsen norman did a second study even they knew that their 2006 study needed more review because today it's, okay. it, things are different. So they did a study in 2017 on this, mm -hmm. um, and I'll just quote directly from it here. Thinking thinking about stuff like this, mobile devices, thinking about behavior versus technique and, and mm -hmm. what changes and what stays, they said, 
Our recent eye tracking research shows that the F-shaped scanning pattern is alive and well in today's world, both on desktop and on mobile. A typical example of the longevity of UX findings, which depend more on human behavior than on technology. That's so fascinating. Mobile comes into play. We go to highly verticalized layouts, responsive mm -hmm. layouts, um, linearized layouts, and people still scan those devices in an F pattern yeah. as they're using the device. So, because the scanning is the thing. The scanning is the cognitive byproduct of the F pattern. I like thinking about the F pattern design layout as being a product that emerged from this knowledge of how we read, like, read pages. That, like, that fits a lot better. So yes, I'm going to keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's two approaches, right? You read some articles, and they're going to tell you one thing. So uh, over at Liam Pedley Design, um, he's got an article. He says, the updated web design guidelines encourage web designers to create pages that promote the natural habit of scanning the page. Why? Because if visitors scan and find interesting, valuable content... They're more likely to stay on the page and read rather than only scanning. He goes on to use this explanation as justification for designing to encourage people regardless of the F. Okay. And there's, there is rationale behind that. He's, and he's, but he says the F pattern makes no sense in today's modern web that we can't, we, we don't have to design for it. We don't have to think about it. You have to think about the experience. He's not wrong, but he's also, in my opinion, not right in that so it way. sounds like he's talking about the f design pattern and not so much the um the f pattern in the sense of the the cognitive behaviors right so this yeah. is this is the challenge right as you sure. read this stuff you have to keep in mind what folks are are like focusing on <laughs> are you doing that on purpose i can't tell i'll let you decide <laughs> when they're talking about this so you go over to UX Magazine. There's an article there that uh, Stephen Moyers wrote, the F pattern can not only encourage users to stay on your website, it will also cause them to see what else your site has to offer. The usability of your website will increase as you incorporate this layout into your design. So, Okay, wait, what does he mean there? I'm not sure I understand that. So what he is saying is if you know it is human behavior to scan in an F pattern, mm -hmm. you can leverage that to make sure that you are putting things in places that make sense to encourage their behavior. And if you're doing that, so for instance, if you, if you wanted to take this to a like super like overly specific application, sure. the absolute best place to put a call out on your page would probably be the upper left corner. Okay. Like if you had a call to action, if you had a button that you wanted people to click, if you want people to sign up for your service, the best place to probably put that is in, in the upper left corner. Now, I don't have I, I would, user research on that. I don't know if that's a fact, but that would be what the technique would tell you. Not having user research on this either, I, I would argue for the upper right corner because the upper left corner is like the root. And if you're rooting your page on a, on a call to action, you're going to lack context. But that, that's, this is kind of pontificating a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think yeah. that's fine. <laughs> Much of the disagreement on this idea uh, is on the foundation for design. Not whether or not it exists or happens. It's whether yeah. or not you should use it and to what extent. The, you know, the classic example of this in, in my head is like when you talk about dark patterns. Now, okay. 
I hate using dark patterns as a uh, focus for anything. And in this case, though, it's because of what it does. The whole point in dark patterns is to use psychology against users. Okay. user behavior against users. At its root, it's all about understanding the way we think mm-hmm. and taking advantage of that. This this feels like it's it's a similar um maybe using similar magical powers as a dark pattern, but in this case you're you're facilitating the user's consumption of your content in a way right. that benefits them. It seems more symbiotic. Right, yeah. Like than in this case we're not talking about it in the sense of that it's bad in any way. Yeah. It's just this idea that psychology matters to design. You know what this reminds me of is remember that old phrase, um, technically not an F word there. Uh, don't bury the lead. Yeah. That, that, that's what this feels like. You know, if you know, if you know people are going to scan your content in that way, you don't put the important part at the bottom of the F you put it towards right. the top. Yeah. And understanding, and this is why, as we get, a little farther into this, the why the answer is yes, it still matters, is because of that behavioral stuff. Understanding how people work, how our mm-hmm. brains work, and how that results in engagement on websites yeah. is a cornerstone of user experience research. Definitely. Um, you know, the psychology of design is something we've known about for decades. Um, going back to the way Braun decided to design electric razors, um, and hmm. things like, you know, taking advantage of things like that to make things more appealing, to make things more, you know, desirable. And you can apply that in your design. You know, the F pattern psychologically hasn't gone away, even though our design techniques have moved towards other venues. Yeah. What Nielsen Norman determined in, in their updated uh, study was that it ultimately depends on the type of content. So they identified hmm. three qualifications for a page where you really see f pattern behavior from the user really stand out they said if it's a page or a section of a page that includes text that has little or no formatting for the web for example (laughs) it's a wall of text but no bolding bullets or subheadings the user is trying to be most efficient on that page and the user is not so committed or interested that he is willing to read every word all of these things seem like the user self-protecting their cognitive energy against an unknown value. Right. So yeah. easy, easy explanation of where you would see this kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. News website. Right. Because a news website, or let's even take this to another place, Facebook. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I did that one on purpose, by the way. <laughs> You you go somewhere like that to just consume the information. You go to the mm. news website to see what's going on in the world today. And so you are not there to accomplish a transactional goal. Right. You may spend a minute there. You may spend 10 minutes there. You don't know. So you are going to try to be efficient. You're going to yeah. scan the headlines, the pictures. And even though those sites aren't laid out in a strict F pattern, Right. You will see how things fall on horizontal and vertical lines with the headlines. Um, and it, you, you think with, with Facebook, you almost have like just a series of Fs going down, which yeah. honestly like seems, it feels like a really apt description of Facebook. That, <laughs> just that, a series uh, of Fs. That first point from Nielsen Norman, a page yeah. or a section of a page. Right. So the individual okay. chunks of Facebook 
will generate miniature Fs as you're going through going yeah. through those posts real quick. Think about it, or if you want to apply it somewhere else, like think about maybe an Instagram type location or something. Mm-hmm. How many posts a, an average person will scroll through in a day on yeah. Facebook or Instagram or some of these sites or or news articles on a news site, whatever. But how much content passes our eyes? Hundreds, probably. We don't even think about it, really. But how many hundreds of posts we process and don't pay attention to because they don't catch our eye? When when I when I doom scroll on Twitter, it definitely often feels like just going. The reason we fall to this uh, this use case, I think, is because naturally humans are very good at scanning. We we have trained ourselves to trust our ability to pick things out. We mm-hmm. look for keywords. We look for, you know, if we know we're looking for certain information, there are words that will catch our eye or words we will tune out. Um, I think this is, this is like some either mammal or reptile brain stuff. Like scanning, uh, scanning for relevance or scanning for value is is a very deep seated quality that I think like we all innately have and use in many many different areas and I think that that gets applied to content consumption especially now that we have so so much like an abundance of content to consume it becomes really really more important like to scan things correctly and your ability to use this f pattern of cognition is um kind of a survival tool almost the the digital lizard brain yeah, yeah. Techno lizard. <laughs> One thing that Nielsen Norman discovered in, in this updated study, too, is that users will genuinely, not genuinely, generally, mm-hmm. prefer a guided experience if you offer it. So okay. the F pattern becomes more of a default state okay. in the absence of something else. Okay, so when, when we are in a state, when you're in a state of self-protecting our attention in this attention economy we default to the f pattern because we've learned that it is the most efficient way to protect our cognition right for the most part yeah and you're saying that there this there's alternatives if we can have a guided situation then we can relax that and we can trust the guide so going all the way uh, up to that quote i get, i read from uh, liam pedley mm-hmm. design he was talking about Focusing on generating experiences that will lead users through, not mm-hmm. caring about that F pattern. Yeah. Saying, design the thing that they need. If you even think about something even way more generic, um, but like tools like Joyride. What is and that? Some of, not, some of these JavaScript plugins that let you do things like provide a guided tour of something. Like any, Have you ever gone okay. to a, like a tool you use and they've updated it and they've uh-huh. been like, let us show you the new features, and they have the little that. thing that'll bounce around the screen. That, yeah, it's that's annoying. usually Joyride or, or some variation okay. thereof. Now, that's a really hyper-specific example. Sure, but you can design a page in such a way as to minimize the amount of content on it, mm-hmm. highlight certain bullet points, have very bright and obvious calls to action in certain locations. You can build an experience that is designed to guide a user through their transaction. Okay, if you do that. They will follow you. They will follow your lead on it. The F pattern only comes into play in the absence of those design cues and those, okay. you know, or, you know, thinking about 
when you do something like if you've got a horizontal scroll and have mm-hmm. you ever like you've seen sites that like will yeah bounce content or, or like put in like uh some some micro ux or things that um or micro interactions that will you know bounce an element to let you know there's stuff beyond it that you can scroll this oh yeah yeah i've seen that like these visual design cues that come into play the showing motion in their periphery yeah that stuff that's designed to tell you hey look over here you know it's Mm -hmm. grabbing your attention right everything's about drawing your eyes and so as a designer as a developer if you're building things that draw people's eyes Mm -hmm. they will let you do that they will let their eyes be drawn by your design and so that's one of those big takeaways as we've learned more we couldn't do that before we didn't have those options so we built to the f pattern we built our our constructs and our artifacts to match the thinking process and now we can do better than that i actually find that that like the guided things like that i i find them annoying personally i i accept that maybe other people don't have this issue but i i don't like having to consume content on someone else's terms because it uh, maybe like I live in the F pattern so much that it feels unnatural to not be able to do that. The The example you provided here uh, that you found was uh, the consulting.click that's with a K dot com. And I, it's really cool. Like it's, you know what they did with the, it has, so you, you scroll down this thing. It's that you're, it has like this purple ball that sort of like morphs and shapes and moves down through the sections as you go through them. And it um, kind of draws your attention to different parts of the page. But um, I, I find it really distracting and it, I have a harder time reading the content on the page myself. Um, but it's cool. Like it's cool looking. I think I just wish that the content showed up in the purple ball because I, I keep, like I'm trying to read the text, but I keep jumping my eyes back to the purple ball to see if I can, because I'm expecting it to move more. So it's harder to, for me to focus on the copy. I think the the key there is, while while I, I absolutely take your point about you know not liking that in your face approach, mm-hmm. you probably are in, in the course of a day on the internet when in mm-hmm. just in the course of using websites, you are probably guided through experiences significantly more often than you think you are. Okay, by, I'll give you that. Yeah. By all the times, it isn't in your face. Like it, it, yeah. it is the subtle nuance to how content has been placed. You know, a good counter example, a good anti-pattern for this would be, and I've seen this, I think, on CNN's website. I, mm. I am pretty sure they do this, where they'll have content, you know, their little blocks, their headline blocks, all this. Yeah. And then on the far right-hand side, you'll run into what looks like a really tall vertical block of content on the right hand side usually mm-hmm. it's like an advertising block or something like that yeah these long and if you're thinking about stuff like advertising and i, I don't think this gets quite into dark pattern territory though it could mm-hmm. if you wanted to abuse it you know we used to do remember the tall banner ads mm-hmm. and those usually ended up on the right side a lot because again we put our navigation on the left side right but those those tall banners on the right side are visually very disruptive to that cognitive flow because you're not scanning vertically on the right hash. Right, you know? right. So thinking about some of that, like it's those kinds of tweaks that people make that they would say, you know what, I'm going to put that out on the left side so that as you're scanning back and forth and up and down, 
it's in the vertical scan space for your yeah. eyes. So you actually do see it and will pick up and remember some of those bits and pieces. Because here's the thing. Part of the reason we use the F pattern mm-hmm. um, as a behavior is because we intuitively will seek out visual hierarchy in design. Yes. Yeah, if I would we, agree with that. Even if we're not there to like have a transactional goal, if we're at mm-hmm. the news site just catching up on the day, we follow the lead headline to the secondary block to the entertainment section down below. And so yeah. we follow the same visual hierarchy and they have ordered their content in that way. So the first thing you see is going to be the most important headline for the day, you know, or sure. minute, I guess in this day and age. Um, <laughs> and these, these 10 seconds we have right here, <laughs> what we, and what, so the, that point I just made, users prefer to have their experience led. They mm-hmm. will follow design scent they will follow information mm-hmm. scent if you place it out there for them nielsen norman found this they said when writers and designers have not taken any steps to direct the user to the most relevant interesting or helpful information users will then find their own path mm-hmm. so if you yeah, provide I, okay. a path if you give them breadcrumbs if you give them scent they will follow it they you're like a bloodhound I think that the um, I, I agree with that first of all I, and i think that maybe the subtle ways that you mentioned earlier are things like, you know, good use of white space. Yeah. You know, having like, like you can, white space is one of those things where you don't realize its importance until you see content that doesn't use it effectively. Negative space acts really like apparent. a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. So if you do, if you have well-placed, properly sized white space, it sucks your eyes through the pattern that it creates. Yeah. Well, it, it helps you identify what is content by, showing you very clearly what isn't. And I think actually advertisements undermine that a lot because they fill up all the white space with ads because that's what MBAs do. It it makes it harder to distinguish between what's the content and what's not. And on sites like, um, I haven't looked at CNN in a long time, but a, a site that has a lot of ads or whether it's internal or external ads, I I find my my experience is often that I can see content like I see it, but I'm not reading it unless it passes like a very quick subconscious check of like whether or not this is content I want to read. So I'll like look at an ad, but I won't actually like visually process any of the words in it unless I've determined that it's content that I'm looking for. Um, And I think that's like weird survival skill that I've developed um, (laughs) over the years. (laughs) Information survival. (laughs) So to this idea that users will follow scent and, Mm -hmm. and, will kind of take your lead on it. One thing Nielsen Norman found in their updated study was that there were a set of patterns that go beyond the F pattern um, and beyond, like some people will say there's an E pattern that's Mm -hmm. kind of a variation of the F. Some people will call it like the Z pattern. In my Mm -hmm. eyes, they're all kind of variations of the same thing. uh, They all have the the broad line at the top. Yeah. Yeah. They, they all have this idea of reinforcing the left to right, top to bottom. Because your eyes naturally have to sort of typewriter, you know, type on a typewriter, slam that carriage back over. But Nielsen Norman found there's the layer cake pattern. Mm-hmm. There's, and I'm not going to go into these in depth. You can read it in their study if you want. They've got a, a breakdown of them all. Um, there's the spotted pattern. There's a marking pattern. There's bypassing pattern. And there's a commitment pattern. And uh, just as an example, you brought up the uh, consulting.click.com. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That to me is a really good example of marking pattern. Okay. Um, what is, what is that one? What is the marking pattern? Okay. So 
Nielsen, uh, Nielsen Norman defined it as uh, it involves keeping the eyes focused in one place as the mouse scrolls or a finger swipes the page, like a dancer fixates on an object to keep balance as she twirls. Marking happens uh, more on mobile than on desktop. Huh. But that ball you talked about, so as you scroll this, the Clicks website, this yeah. ball that moves around is designed to keep your eyes on it so that where it lands is the thing that they want you to look at. Yeah. So they're keeping yeah, your yeah. eyes, they're they're tying your eyes to that motion, that they're physically making movement. And so while the ball does move, the ball is the mark. Have you ever seen those um those animated gifs where it shows like a bunch of images flash through in rapid succession, but like the one common element for all the images remains stationary on on the image. So it'd be like a picture of Harry Potter and like all the different movies flick, like- flicking randomly. But with it's the his eyes, eye. his yeah. eyes are in the same spot. Yeah, yeah, that's what that makes you think of. It's very disconcerting as well. <laughs> Ultimately, even though uh, even though the Nielsen Norman stuff pointed out that like there there are other approaches, and there are folks who are saying you know don't adhere to it uh, and all of this, the F pattern behavior is neither mm-hmm. inherently good or bad. It's the way okay. we think. It's the way we process information. Now, blind reliance on it and what is, assuming... What does that mean, the blind reliance? So, like, if you were to just build websites in F-patterns... Okay. Because somebody said to you, hey, people scan an F-pattern, so you should design your website with a, you know, a task-heavy header and a left sidebar and put your content in the middle. Okay. Blindly just doing that isn't good. That doesn't produce the outcomes that you want. Okay. What... uh what Nielsen Norman figured out was that, you know, that's the default state. That's what people go to when they're given no other options. Mm-hmm. They quoted, they said, when people scan in an F shape, they miss big chunks of content based merely on how text flows in a column. Mm-hmm. While we are good at scanning, we are generally, you know, like I say, we, we have that ability to pick out the keyboards that we think are important to us. We'll tune stuff out. Yeah. We're still not perfect at it at the same time. And as we seek to minimize the cognitive load placed on us by a page, yeah, the reason that F, we use the, the phrase F more than E, mm-hmm. is like you said at the start, we start, as the page gets longer, as we stay on that further, that funnel starts to shave in. <laughs> and so you start to get a trail off, because we get lazy. Yeah. The yeah. longer oh, no. we spend not getting what we want, we start giving up. Well, you, you go in, it's, there's like, there's hunting, hunting mode. And then, um, I guess I'm not sure what the opposite of hunting mode would be, but it, it's Grazing. like, yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Hunting or maybe foraging. That's a good F word. If you're hunting, you don't want to sit too long on one thing, because if you sit too long on one content, that's time you're not spending looking for other content. But if you're, if you're grazing or foraging, you want to get as much as you can out of that because you've found you know, this berry bush of content and you want to get every berry you can because you don't know if you're going to find berries at a different spot. Yeah. So it's really like, it's, it's two different things. And, and I think that maybe, maybe the takeaway from that is you want to put the, the stuff that is only relevant for people. Like if you're going to put berries on the bush and then you want to put them towards the bottom because that's when th- those are the people that you know were like, oh, they want berries, so I'm going to put the berries down here at the bottom of the bush, um, rather than just like all around. 
because you're if you're if you're scanning the paragraphs then you're going to be looking at the content at the beginning and not so much later on if you don't agree or if you're not agreeing with that's what you're looking for i'm rambling there but I, does that make sense you got a little bit long uh yeah yeah sorry i, I tuned out i'm sorry what what was that what's what's <laughs> you, the drax were you, you f patterning what uh, i was saying <laughs> what, what's uh what does he what does drax say in, in guardians of the galaxy um i'm sorry i wasn't paying attention <laughs> yeah. yeah i feel that man i feel that <laughs> no while, while you were talking actually i the thought occurred to me when i you asked me well what do i mean by blind reliance mm-hmm. you know as i was reading through a lot of this stuff and pulling articles for the show notes and whatnot nielsen norman did their original study in 2006 that was 14 years ago wow and i remember the kind of sites i was working on then that was a long damn time ago they were smart enough to know because believe it or not they are smart people and they mm-hmm. realized in 2017 that that was information that needed updating. That yeah. just like things like we talk about how much design changes, you know, skeuomorphism, mm-hmm. great idea, great design when the iPhone came out in 2007. Right. How much skeuomorphism do you see in design today? Because things far, change. Far less. Yeah, yeah, far less. Way less. And yet, as I look through these articles, and if you go look through some of the stuff in the show notes and look at some of these articles that were written that all talk about how important the F pattern is, not only do they reference the 2006 study that Nielsen Norman did, they even yeah. use the screenshots from it over and over and over again, and none of them reference the 2017 study for the most part. That's the blind reliance. They read mm-hmm. something once. They read a 14-year-old article on on this topic and assume everything in it is still true and accurate today that's where you can be blinded by that data because it's 2020 now and even 2017 research is getting a little long in the tooth in some cases um i think it's still very good and still worth reading. like i say behavior doesn't change that much if you want to get into the psychology of this i've said a couple times now humans are good at scanning um, generally speaking, we are good at reading. We learn to read in a certain way, though. We we learn to read with, I don't even know what the right word of it would be. You know, you learn to read in elementary school to these tests, and you're given, you know, you, you take these um, these tests by the time you get into, like, middle school and high school, the, the state tests and all of this, um, and they'll give you the paragraph to read, right? You take mm-hmm. the SAT, you get... You get the paragraph you have to read, and then they take the paragraph away, and then you have to answer questions about it. Right. Yeah. I remember and that. so we teach you to read these stories and to read every word and to to hold them in your brain. The reality is there are other ways we process information. Well, bef- before you get to those other ways, do you remember? You remember? We're, like we're roughly the same age, so the writing classes we had in elementary grade school are probably similar. Do you remember how they told you to make a paragraph? What do you put first in a paragraph? Your thesis. Yeah, or the main idea or whatever. And then yeah. you, below that it goes to supporting information. Like that's F pattern scanning right there. You, yeah. you put the most important thing first and then supporting thing is under it. Yeah, because to go back to what we were saying about where the F pattern presents itself, walls of text, walls of unformatted mm-hmm. text, paragraphs yeah. of text, that's where people F scan the most. Because yeah. they're looking for those keywords. And it's like, oh, I don't see that in the top of the paragraph. I'm going to assume that the rest of the paragraph doesn't give me that. For the most part, we we do that and we trust in it because most of the time that is right. Yeah. 
you know, frequently that means we can safely do that, but it's not always right. That's why uh, Nielsen Norman found that people will miss important content because they trust in that too much because we are imperfect beings. We're trying to find efficiency. Mm. There's a site, readsy.co. Okay. And so I, I w- was talking about this earlier um, with Aaron that as we talk about scanning and reading and, and thinking, and this was one of the coolest things when I found, I, I saw this a few years ago. I'm a slow reader. I just generally, like, I, I know people, man, they can knock out a three, 400-page book in a couple days, and I've never understood that. That takes me weeks <laughs> to get through because I, yeah. I read very much the way I learned as a child. I read mm-hmm. all the stuff. As I got older, I started finding out about these people that scanned, like they scanned through paragraphs, and that was partly how they read faster. Yeah. And then I found the site readsy.co, and I only bring this up just as an example of like how we cognitively process data. They show you how, you know, the average human reads between like 200 words a minute, give or take, somewhere in there. Okay. They can get you to read upwards of a thousand words a minute. And they do it based on scanning individual words and how you pick up the words around them. And you start to realize that by reading one word at a time very quickly, your brain still retains all of the information around it. Okay. Like, you never learn this as a kid because kids can't do this, I, I, you know, yeah. in general. Like, we don't have the neural pathways to, to pull it off sure. know, functionally. But as you get older, your brain becomes very attuned to scanning. That's why we do it. And so this reads, it uses a tool called Spritz. And you can upload text to it and and try it on your own. But they focus your eyes. They use a marking pattern to focus your eyes on one word. And they start cycling those words very, very, very quickly. And then, I don't know, I I think it's another tool I found. I don't think it's this one. But they would ask you questions. Okay about that information and it was astonishing how much information you retained by scanning that way and it made makes you way more efficient i'm still not very good at it mind you but yeah i very quickly in the course of a day i went from like 300 words a minute to like somewhere in like 600 700 words a minute because once you realize how easy it is to do you start turning up that speed and it's like oh well this Mm -hmm. isn't hard at all I'll have to I'll have to try this out. I'm I I mean I know we talked about this earlier, but like when I when I read, I often have to reread sentences more than once because sometimes my I, I don't like correctly visually process the, the the data, and so not being able to go back and reread parts that I just missed, I think might work to my detriment. But maybe maybe this is something that I could use to train better on that. I don't know. I, I'd be interested to see what could happen with that. I'll I'll give it a shot. Yeah, it's just one of those things that, like anything, it takes some practice, Mm -hmm. but it's a new way of reading, and so it makes it so that you can scan things like a book, not using the F pattern, you use a different approach, but you still get all that information, and you miss less things as a consequence, because now you're not scanning just to find relevancy, you're scanning to actually intake all of the stuff, and you can then apply that to whatever you're reading, a web page or what have you. Just very interesting, you know, when you start getting into the psychology stuff of how we process data. It's, it's uh, mm-hmm. psychology the right word for that? Maybe it's not. I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, <laughs> the, 
in in goal, you know, focus on the experiences you want to create. You can consider yeah. how the F pattern may support and enhance those elements, but you don't have to design to it directly. You can also think about how you want to lead the person through. Is it a landing page? Is it a news article or a blog? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're if you're writing long form content on your website, that how you approach that will be very different from how you're making, you know, landing pages for product signups or something like that or white paper downloads. Right. Um, but understanding base user psychology helps you make decisions as a designer or a content creator. Let us know how, how you think about this or, or what relevancy mm -hmm. you have. I, my answer is, is the F pattern still relevant? I think the answer is absolutely yes. I think we mm -hmm. just find relevancy in it differently now. I think it applies to the work we do differently and, and how we want to approach content strategy and how we want to encourage user interactions. I think all of that comes back to those things, even if we aren't putting a left-hand sidebar on our websites anymore or something like that. Um, For but sure. But think about it. Go visit some websites and think about if you're you know over at MSNBC, how do you scan that? If you're at YouTube... Mm -hmm. You know, how do you consume your YouTube homepage and all of those mm -hmm. thumbnails? How do you scan that to find the videos you want to watch? Um, or you know, there's or a, Netflix or Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Think about all of these different applications. Um, let us know if you find a good example or if you find mm -hmm. an example that you think breaks that mold really mm -hmm. well in particular. I would be, I'd be interested in knowing those, the, the ones that are usable and have content that you're consuming, but are not laid out with with that i wouldn't see those or you know if, if you want to get crazy go read the news go read the Niels, Niels norman that really it's hard to say after a couple of glasses <laughs> of scotch go read the nielsen norman studies and go look for the other patterns go look for spotted spotted patterns go look up these other patterns and see where they call out and tell us you know are they particularly effective or not effective how can you apply them um i think there's there's a lot to learn. There's a lot. To, and like the, the F pattern stuff is like the gateway to all of this other world of how we consume information and, and apply that to our design and content. So hmm. let us know. And we'd love to talk to you about it. And otherwise, I'll catch you after the break. <laughs> Aaron, I, of course, you're a, a big Ruby guy, but have you done anything with Rust? Have you played with Rust at all? I haven't. Um, other than the things I mentioned earlier about RipGrep, um, I, I've only heard a little bit about it. I've, a friend yeah. of mine applied for a job at the Mozilla Foundation, and apparently it was like a Rust advocate. So it was, um, I guess they're called Rustations. If they're, <laughs> and they're, oh, this is the best part. Their, their mascot is named Ferris. Oh, which, that's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, come on. You can't get a lot more clever than that. <laughs> right. Um, so I don't know a lot about it. I know that it's similar to C++, although and it's it's like performantly similar, like performance-wise. I, I um, know it's it's really got a lot of folks' attention like for the new hotness in programming languages. Yeah. I know there's a lot of like energy and excitement kind of building up around it at this point in time. I, I have a lot of love for Mozilla as a like as an organization and so like that alone is enough reason for me to want to to know more about it it's, it's been frustrating right because here lately I've not been able to go out to conferences you know most mm -hmm. of my conferences have either been canceled or have gone all remote at this point um, so if this is sort of a great opportunity where if 
you're wanting to learn something new, if you think that uh, this would be interesting to you and you, you know, don't have the, the time or resources to get away from your house, mm-hmm. and the Live at Manning conference series is actually hosting a Rust conference all online on September 15th. Hmm. Nice. Uh, if you go to drunkenux.com slash rustconf, that's R-U-S-T-C-O-N-F, you can get a free ticket. Sweet. So if you're interested in just even trying to figure out, is this something that might interest you? Is it something that might fit your workflow or, or might you know make some new opportunities for you? We talked recently uh, with Jeremy Walker from Exorcism all about learning new programming languages. Yeah, so, I think Rust is one of them. This, Yeah, if this is something that is in your wheelhouse or that just interests you, can't beat free. So yeah. the, the Live at Manning Conference Series, Manning uh, Publications, they're a great group of folks. We've worked with them in the past. Um, Dustin Chow was... Uh, one of their uh, writers that came on with us, and, and uh, I believe that was the CSS and JS mm-hmm. uh, episodes quite a while back. Uh, but they are great folks. They make tons of learning material. So check them out. Um, and like I say, if you want a free ticket, September tw- or 15th, um, that uh, is, I think, from noon to 5, I believe. And you can get a free ticket at drunkenux.com slash rustcon. Excellent. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope uh, you think about the F pattern a little bit and, and how it fits in. I'm sure many of you have probably heard of it. Some of you maybe haven't. And like I say, if you have any thoughts or, or input or anything you want to add, be sure to let us know. We screwed up, of course. We got. I was really excited about getting into this topic, and we missed like two of our primary <laughs> steps at the start. I'm not going to go all the way back and edit anything in at this point. Um, I drank, though, this evening uh, Brooklady. The, the Lottie, uh, the classic Lottie, hmm. which is their 10-year, or it was their 10-year. I think now it's actually at like a tin blend or something. And I've had it on the show before. This is the, the fancy green bottle. The same folks that made technically scotch. Uh, that was very <laughs> unpleasant. But the classic Lottie is, is quite nice. It's an unpeated Isla scotch. Uh, <laughs> very mellow, kind of sweet with just a tiniest bit of smoke to it. Very... Very nice. So, sorry, I didn't tell you that at the start, and I don't know what you had. You had something over there. Yeah, I had a, I just made a margarita. Um, I've been... I've gotten this, I think, the second or third time now, the Cazadores Tequila. Um, it's a nice, like, just, you know, consumer-level... R- roughly, I would say it's comparable to, like, an absolute of vodka. Like, it's around $20 a bottle. It's a nice little mezcal. And, or, I think it's... I'm not sure it's tequila mezcal. It's agave-based. Anyways, I threw that with some triple sec and some lime juice and... That's tasty. Very cool. Yeah. So, uh, I don't think we have any... Oh, we have facebook.com slash drunkenux. You can come connect with us there and tell us all about the times that you've interacted with sites that weren't F patterns or the times when you read the end first because that made more sense. Um, You can also connect with us on twitter.com slash drunkenux and finstagram.com slash podcast. And at frunkenux.com slash discord to come talk with us. He's not slurring. He's just being a jerk. Uh, <laughs> I'm being a furk. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's time to send Aaron to bed. Um, as always, I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to drop us a line, hit us up on drunkenux.com. Send us any episode ideas. If you have something you want us to cover, we've got some stuff in the pipeline uh, that I think you'll enjoy that have come from user requests. So or listen to requests, rather, so be on the lookout for those because we practice what we preach and we keep our users close. Nope, that's the opposite. I am I should not drink Brooklady when I'm, I'm doing this because this would have been did much you, better. Did you say Fursona's close? 
Oh my god. <laughs> Keep your personas close. <laughs> but your fusers closer. <laughs> bye bye. Ha, 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 ha.